You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you all this morning. A chance that we take each year to return to the passage that everything about our church is kind of centered around. The name of our church comes from And it is the very thing that reminds us that everything we do is built around the central claim, the central truth of the gospel, of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And this serves as an opportunity for us each year to consider these central truths and also for us to kind of look back and look forward for how are we, where are we at as a church? What are we doing? Uh, What's happening here? And and what might we need to to consider, uh, to be thankful for, or to, to work on? Uh, I want to begin, actually, by reading from the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Just listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, In all speech and knowledge, just as the testimony concerning Christ was also confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you eagerly await the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus. Those are words that I kept thinking of because Paul writes things like that again and again to the churches in the New Testament in the letters. And that's really, above anything else, what I want to be kind of the main gist of what we hear this morning. And that is, I thank my God because of you, Paramount. Because of God's faithfulness in this little place to do so many remarkable things. And I make mention of you in prayers There's no shortage of evidence of God's grace in our lives. In the past year, we've seen babies born. We've seen relationship struggles. We've seen sicknesses overcome. We've seen friends come to know or come closer to knowing Jesus. We've seen people step into new ministry roles. And if there's one place, there's one thing that I want us to hear sort of above everything else this morning, it's that. It's that I'm thankful to God. And we should be thankful to God for the work that he's doing in our lives. But there's certainly things that we need to be reminded of as well. One of the things that I uh, read this week uh, was a reminder that the, the famous church in Paris, the church of Notre Dame, burned in 2019. It was a significant fire, took down the the towers that had been standing over Paris for hundreds of years. Lots of the ceiling was was destroyed, but the shape, the foundation of the church remained. And so the the decision was to to continue building it and to, to build it back up. But one of the stories that I read this week was what was of an architect, an engineer who had an opportunity to look at the plans of what they're trying to open up in 2024. And what they said was that, that they, were, they were disturbed by it. They reviewed the plans and said, it looks like some kind of a, a, a Disney World project where they're taking out 
pieces that weren't even damaged, were places that were set aside for prayer or, or to reflect on the truths of God. And they're replacing them with uh, lights and, and things about history and, and a kind of a walkthrough tour to make it a museum. And of course, you know, us as, as Baptists here in Columbus, Ohio, we don't necessarily have a whole lot of stake in what's happening at Notre Dame. But I think it's, it's good for us to reflect on. It's probably too much to say that, that we've experienced something like a fire. But we, sh- we sure have been shaken a little bit in the last year and in the last couple of years. We've certainly seen people who we didn't think would leave, leave us. And we've seen uh, some reluctance to kind of come back and join church. We've seen uh, commitments in, in ABF and some of our other ministries just be kind of a little slow. We've seen sin, but we've seen grace in our lives too. And I thank God for you. But I think that in just in a similar way to this church in Paris where there was a fire and there's a foundation that remains, we too have a sure and certain foundation. We know that Jesus will accomplish his work in our lives. We know that he will do exactly what he intends to do with our church. But we still have a question for us of what, we, what will we build on this foundation? And so that's the key question for us this morning. What I want us to hear from this text is that we have a certain foundation. We're going to look at three different ways that we can see the certain and sure foundation that we have so that we shouldn't leave this morning thinking, oh no, there's so many terrible things happening. We should leave this morning hearing the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ and his work for us. But at the same time, that certainty, that foundation, that confidence should drive us to action, to the things that we can do, the things that we can build, the things that God is calling us to. And those are the things that I would like for us to consider this morning. We're going to look at these three ways that we can find a certain and sure foundation. Our foundation is sure, first of all, here we see, in Jesus proclaimed. We start typically in verse 3, but looking back a few verses before in 1 Corinthians 15, we can see, I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you. Paul has this one message that he wants to communicate to the church at Corinth. And we need to hear this as well. This gospel, this truth is where they stand. It is where they should find this confidence and this hope. Paul is essentially saying, look, if you weren't listening to anything up to this point, I want you to hear this central truth. And that is what I handed down to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried And then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. One commentator I read points out along the way here that it's almost as if Paul's going out of his way to ensure that Jesus is the subject of every verb that's happening here. He is the one who was buried. He is the one who was raised. In Greek, those even get a little like funny constructions, but he does it on purpose to make sure that we realize and we recognize that Jesus 
is the center. Jesus is the message. If there's one thing that he wants to hear is that he wants us to hear this morning, it is that Jesus Christ is the center of this message. And that truth, that, that centrality of Jesus is true not just in these verses, but it's true of the entire book and really the entire Bible. Again and again, if you were reading the book of 1 Corinthians, what you would find is that Paul goes back and forth again, telling them, noticing that, church, you're not doing this thing that you should be doing. Don't you know that this is true about you in Christ? This is what Jesus has done for you. Therefore, live like this. Now, you're also doing this other crazy thing over here. Don't you know about what Jesus has done for you? If you believe this thing, you won't continue doing this. And that's essentially the pattern of the letter. Again and again and again, drawing the church back to the central message. This is the central dynamic of the Christian life that we should hear and remind ourselves of again and again. That is that Christianity, this faith, isn't fundamentally about something that we do. It is about something that Jesus has done. And I know so many of us have heard that, but I think we can't hear it enough. I think we need to be reminded because again and again, we feel like we aren't doing enough. And we need to be reminded this isn't about what we do, first and foremost. It's about what Jesus has done. And everything comes from that. <clears throat> and so this, this dynamic of Jesus Christ at the center of everything, I thank God, is true of Paramount as well. If there's one thing that we want to make sure we say and we say again and again, it is that Jesus Christ is at the center there are so many, there really are many, many good churches in the area, and I wouldn't want to do anything to, to speak ill of them. But I know there are so many places and so many people that have lost sight of Jesus at the center. The idea being that somehow we can learn the basics of the gospel, and then we move on to uh, either more complex doctrines, or we move on to just doing more activities and we move past the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we do not move past the gospel. As I've, I've heard a few different people say, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z. We, we continue to grow in these central truths. This is where we find our sure foundation. This is where we find our, our roots. This is where we find our hope. I can remember so many things, uh, thinking back in the last nine years, uh, almost for me even, of, of uh, time with Paramount Church, because we, Holly and I joined in with the, with the kids just about six months after, and it was still tiny and meeting in the, in the basement, and we walked down the stairs uh, into, the, into the, the dungeon sort of there at, at uh, Maryland, going, what have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, kind of halfway knowing full well that this is exactly where God was calling us to be, and also kind of going, oh no, <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done here. But I can remember those days. I'm just trying to get people to show up, uh, trying to do a block party only to have uh, nobody show up or to be chased out of places, being told that we weren't welcome in Bexley. 
But from the beginning, we weren't worried about all of those things. And praise God, we've seen so many of those things change. But the goal for us is the same. It is to hand down this message that we've received, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And so we put this central truth at the center of everything that we do. And we remind one another of this sometimes in community groups and certainly in our new members classes, that in our, in our counseling, uh, Jesus is at the center. In our music, you will hear again and again the message of Jesus proclaimed. In our, in our ABF, we'll be going back just in a couple of weeks to, to studying some theology, uh, specifically looking at just truths of the Bible. All of that, though, helps to inform and enrich our view of who Jesus is and what the gospel means to us. And so we're continuing to work at these things as we have. But there are threats to keeping Jesus at the center of everything. Now, I think one that would be worth addressing, although there are several, is is a threat, I think, for a lot of folks in our, in our country right now, and that is, that is politics. Um, now, I'm not going to make this a political sermon, um, I think, but I do believe that for us to keep Jesus at the center means that we have to keep Jesus at the center. I don't want to overstate this. So I, I'm going to talk for a minute about this, but I don't want to overstate this. First of all, I've had some tremendous conversations with people at Paramount, people who I disagree with or people, people where I see two different people disagreeing with one another. And I've seen some tremendous examples of charity among you all. And so I want to just commend those of you who've been able to do that. I think that is great. And I think that is exactly what we should see here. But at the same time, I think there is particularly a danger that we would allow the things that we are being told by the world are extremely significant or are of first importance to become of first importance to us. If we're going to read this, we want to say what is of first importance to us is Jesus Christ and his work for us. What we will not do is we will not allow someone to tell us that some candidate or some law or some something else is of first importance. What we might and we should be able to do as Christians is recognize that there's a difference between the, the necessary commitments of the gospel and strategic ways to achieve uh, good things in the world. And we have to recognize this. For us as Christians, we're not going to read the Bible and disagree with one another about the value of human life. We should all agree with that because we read the Bible and we see that. We know that God created us and that is, the, that is central to the message of the gospel. But we might disagree even as brothers and sisters about just how to best work out all of the details of uh, trying to see God's uh, goodness in every human recognized in our laws and in our country. There's room for disagreement in those things, and we have to be able to recognize those. Brothers and sisters, let's not let our politics become our identity. How do you know if that's happened? Well, there's a lot of ways 
A few would be that it's become your identity when, when you begin to feel that there's a central kind of us versus them dynamic that is, a, that, that is on a political spectrum. That you're tempted to cut off a brother or sister in Christ because they hold a different political opinion than you. That isn't something that should generally happen. Uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you are uh, hating or harboring bitterness or gossiping about another brother or sister because of their uh, political affiliation or their opinions about something, then what you're doing is you're actually sinning. And when you're sinning, that indicates that there's something wrong in your heart. And it may well be that the thing of first importance to you is not the gospel. And I will tell you, if you are sinning, the thing of first importance to you in your, God, in your heart is not Jesus Christ. It is something else has become the center. And there, are, there is certainly a danger, at least right now, that I think we should be aware of, of being co-opted for another cause. One example that, I, that, I, that I, has been helpful to me through the years is from an old movie. Now, I will admit, I am... I, I make it a habit of watching old movies that are probably older than anybody really wants to spend any time watching. But I think this example will still work if I tell it to you, even if you haven't seen the movie. There's an old film with Alec Guinness called The Bridge Over the River Kwai. And this is a movie about British soldiers being imprisoned in a Japanese uh, POW camp in World War II. And so the soldiers there are, are trapped in the camp and what they find happens in the camp is that they are, they're falling apart. They, they don't, they're away from home. They're finding that they're continually being angry with one another. They're fighting with one another. And they're, they're really just in so many ways not uh, showing what it means to be a British soldier. And so the commander, played by, played by Alec Guinness in the film, decides that what he's going to do is he's going to actually take command of the soldiers in the POW camp. And he's going to help show them that the soldiers, even in the camp, can, show, can be models of good behavior and of, of uh, excellent, works, uh, excellent uh, uh, work ethic. And so the Japanese are trying to have the POWs build a, a bridge. And he decides what we're going to do is we're actually going to have our soldiers build them the best bridge they've ever seen. And we're going to amaze them with the way that our soldiers can work together, even in the worst sort of conditions. And it doesn't matter what, they'll do, what they do to us. We will continue to take it and we'll continue to show them just the best that we could possibly be. And it keeps them together as a unit. It keeps them from fighting. It helps to remind them of their, of their identity and remind them of who they are. And it helps keep their actions in the right place. But what you can immediately see will begin to ha what will happen here is that they forget that the battle to begin with wasn't about not fighting with one another and just proving to these uh, leaders at the camp about how good you are. There's a larger war. And what they found is that they were actually building the bridge that was a part of the supply line for the Japanese. And they forgot why they were doing it and just kept building the bridge. They were doing the work of the enemy because they shortened the view to no longer see the war and we're just focused on getting along here 
and making sure everything looks good. Let's save our face. Let's make sure that we look okay. All the while, you're building the bridges of the enemy. That's the sort of thing that I think of when I think of the way that we can be co-opted. We can look at just uh, trying, to, trying to behave well or trying to, to do the right sorts of things, and we forget that there's a larger picture. We can be so entangled in a, in a political view or in some other part of life that we miss that we're actually being used for the enemy's purposes. We should not let that happen. The thing that is of first importance for us has been and must continue to be is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. This gives us a foundation. This gives us hope. It gives us security. And so knowing that our foundation is sure in Jesus proclaimed. What's of first importance for you? How does Jesus Christ of first importance reflect itself in your time and in your priorities in what you're doing? Again, the foundation is sure, but may we continue in it. Our foundation is also secure in God's word. Do you hear this in these verses? I've handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The the message here is helping us to, to look back to see God's word from beginning to end. And we want to hear this message. There are, of course, so many different kinds of messages that we hear in the world. We hear in our own, our own heads things like, you aren't, you're failing, you aren't good enough. We talked about this in ABF some, thinking about evangelism. You need to achieve a little more. You're not quite being productive enough. You really need to get a few more possessions. Your children aren't really getting everything they need to succeed. You're not reading them enough. You're not going to uh, the right schools or getting all the right curriculums. You're not giving them all the right experiences. These are messages we hear. And if we only have ourselves, we don't have hope. But as we read here, Christ died for our sins. It's such a remarkable thing about the gospel that we don't have to lie to ourselves and pretend like we, don't, we aren't really bad. We don't really do anything wrong. Because so many of us know. We see the things that we do. We know the things we think in our hearts. We know the things we hope no one notices. But we don't have to pretend like that isn't the case. And what we can do instead is we can see that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That he took that on himself. And that when he did that, he put to death that part. He put to death, he took the penalty that was ours. The theological term at work here is propitiation. 
That is, the, the, the punishment of sin was taken on Jesus, and it no longer applies to us. And so now we have confidence, and we have hope. You see, each one of those messages, you're failing, you aren't good enough, you need to do all these things, each of those implies some other uh, story. It implies some other vision of what a good life looks like. But God's word, the according to the scriptures here, gives us a better picture of that. You know, sometimes people will try to say or have tried to say that uh, Paul is really the one that started Christianity. That Jesus did his thing or whatever, whatever happened there. And then later along down the line, Paul sort of takes it and runs with it. And this is one of those places in scripture that's, that's such a good reminder. Because if you hear that, if you're out talking to somebody and having a conversation with somebody about that, you should know that's not something that really many contemporary scholars would say at all. That's a very old idea. Instead, what we see is that even in a place like this, Paul is looking backwards. There's almost no one who, who doubts, even among people who are, uh, question, who are into like, questioning the books of the New Testament, are saying, well, this one isn't really written by Paul. Most people agree about Corinthians. And even in 1 Corinthians 15 here, probably written around 55 AD or something like that, Paul is saying, I received this message. You know, not only that, all these other people, they saw Jesus too. And so this is pointing backwards. This isn't something that, that he's doing. And that and so many other reasons. Paul received this from Jesus and from the apostles. The whole message of the gospel is bigger than one man. The entire Bible, of course, reminds us of this. Genesis 3 is a, is a promise about Jesus, the seed of the woman. Jesus' blood is compared to the blood of, evil, of, of Abel in, in Genesis 4. Peter compares Jesus to the ark. Jesus' rescue is called an exodus. It was evidence of God's faithfulness. Every king of Israel in the story of the Old Testament reminds us of their strength in their strengths of what a king should be, of what Jesus would be, and in their weaknesses that he's not here yet. The prophets speak again and again and again of one who will come. He'd be pierced, he would die, but he would also reign forever, and everything would finally and at last be set at peace the way that it was supposed to be. This and so many other places remind us that the entirety of this book tells us about who Jesus is. That the according to the scriptures here is a reminder for us that our foundation is secure in God's word. We have a sure foundation in a testimony of scripture. Reading the Bible God invites us into a whole different way of seeing the world. Instead of seeing other things at the center, we see God and his work at the center of everything. We see his actions through the people Israel. We see that fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so we should have a sure and certain foundation in the testimony of Scripture. And so a question for us this morning is, knowing 
that our foundation is secure in God's word, how will we read it? Knowing that our foundation is secure in God's word, how will we read it? How does this affect the way that you approach God's word? How does it affect the way that we approach God's word as a church? There are, of course, so many practical uh, ways and things that I'm sure we've said and we've heard. You know that if you read two chapters of the Bible a day, one from the Old Testament and one from the New, you'll get through the New Testament once and half the Old Testament in a year. If you read four chapters, it's possible to read the the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice and the Psalms each year. Um, That's 20 minutes or so that it would take at a a, uh, reasonable reading rate. But I know, one thing I know from conversations again and again is that it's frustrating and it can be just a little disheartening to hear about how we should read the Bible and how easy it is to read the Bible. Because for whatever reason, we don't all find it easy. And there's a lot to unpack there. That'd be a good thing for you to maybe talk with a, a, on a one-to-one basis or in a, in a community group or something about why is it hard for us to read the Bible? Because it could, of course, be uh, something to do in your heart. I mean, it could be an issue of, well, like we said in ABF, Jesus really just isn't that important to you. At one level, that, that is what we're looking at. But there are other things to consider, right? There's just parts of life that are difficult. There are, there are things that happen. Not everyone can always do that. Um, you can read even in portions of Scripture where people spend entire chunks of time in one situation or another, and they're not sitting and reading their Bibles. They're not getting up early because they're, they're in a battle. They're uh, in, in a garden. They're in a difficult place, and they're not doing that. But there are so many ways that we can continue to keep God's word, this certainty that we have at the center. And so rather than just reiterate the simplicity of, of spending a few minutes reading the Bible, I want to I just offer a few other kinds of suggestions related to God's word, and hopefully this will just kind of stir some other uh, ideas in you. The first is, as a church, take advantage of the times that we read Scripture together. We read Scripture together. Take advantage of the times that we read Scripture together. Some examples of this. Each week, we spend some time reading from the Bible. We do a public reading of Scripture. That's an opportunity for you to take a moment, take a breath, and hear the word that God is speaking to you. Consider what he's saying to you through that word this morning. Say a brief prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you through that reading. You're already here. It's happening anyway. Let's try to use that. Another example, another simple one. Uh, The songs that we sing are filled with scripture. We make it a point to do that. In almost every song we sing, I was talking with somebody uh, just the other day, we could could probably walk through the songs and just label out all of this is from this verse, and this is from this verse, and this is from this verse, and this is from this verse. And that's done deliberately. That's so that we're almost kind of tricking ourselves to memorizing scripture and knowing more of God's word, to get it in here 
and to get it to sink somewhere deeper down inside of us so that it, when it, so it will be available for us. We might have missed that, you know, God's faithfulness is uh, in lamentations. But we remember singing, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning. Guess what? That's scripture. By singing those, by really taking time to consider the words that you're singing, you're allowing God's word to shape how you think about who you are, who God is, and what God's up to in the world. It changes everything. Of course, we also make it a point to, to preach our sermons from Scripture, even in something like this, where we have a specific kind of idea or, or something that we want to talk about. We're going to go to Scripture and allow this text to speak to us in this moment. And so paying attention uh, in church, reading the verses and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us, another helpful suggestion. Another way to think about this is to, to focus more on your heart. You and I are not going to master the Bible. I can speak honestly. I've seen this temptation in my own heart sometimes. I get to a portion and reading or whatever, and I, I've read that one. I know what that one says. I remember that one. But if I change the way that I think about that, instead of thinking about this book as something that I, that I get to master, but it's something that God's spirit is using to transform me, then all of a sudden, that's not quite so easy a goal. Maybe I do know what the verses say. Maybe I can quote them. Maybe I could give a sermon on them. But guess what? That doesn't mean that God's done using them to get to my heart or to change me. And so if you and I would approach God's word in a way that, that says, change me, transform me, who knows what he might do? And finally, don't, don't be afraid to let just single verses uh, soak, I don't know how else to say it, marinate in your hearts. Grab, a, grab a, a line, a verse. Think about it. Memorize it. Even, just, even if it's just a, a little bit that you can, that you can chew on throughout, throughout the day or, or through a longer period of time. God's word has a power because God's spirit uses it. And so knowing our foundation is secure in God's word, how will we as a church read it? How will we approach this thing? Again, there's so many ways that I've seen, I've seen God's faithfulness in and among you. The, the ways that, that, that I've heard uh, brothers and sisters in different community groups just take a moment to, to turn to a passage of scripture and read through it in a way that just hit perfectly in the need of the moment. Exactly the thing that someone was saying that someone needed to hear. That is, that is God at work through his word and his spirit and his people. That is something that I am so thankful for about this church. That we have so many people who are willing to listen to God's word. And may that continue to be true. Like Kevin was saying in ABF, we don't want to be people who can continue to come here week after week and be, not, and be unchanged. And so may we continue to allow God's word to transform us to change us.
Finally, a third reason that our foundation is certain. Our foundation is secured in Jesus' resurrection. Our foundation is secured in Jesus' resurrection. There's always a danger in our lives that we might just get stuck. It might be a place of uh, busyness. It might be a place of ah, just tedium, the same things again and again. We might see imperfections in one another or in the church, and it might just make it hard. We might ask ourselves, what's the point? Why would we do this? And that's essentially, if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, that's largely the argument that Paul is making. If Christ is not raised, then there's no point to any of it. But the thing about it is, he is raised. He is risen. He is the living king who is ruling. And so there is a point. There is a purpose He appeared, we hear it again and again. He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters. That each one of those, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared, gives us certainty upon certainty upon certainty. And Paul says, you don't believe me? Some of those guys are still alive. Go ask them. This is what we saw. The resurrection of Jesus is real. It happened in history. And this really is something that we believe in, that we have faith in. But I want to just go ahead and say this for those, for those who are here, uh, because again, we're heading into the, the Christmas season. And during the Christmas season, I always see things with uh, believe. We believe in the spirit of Christmas. We believe in Santa. We believe. And this sort of believing is this sort of, uh, well, apart from all evidence, I'm just going to wishful think my way into this being the case. A claim about Santa Claus is not a checkable claim. You can't verify that. That's not the sort of thing that we have when we're looking at Jesus. Believing in Jesus is not like believing in Santa Claus. Believing in Jesus is something that we do with a measure of certainty because he is risen. Because he's shared the truth about himself. And so we don't find ourselves in a situation where we we feel like we have to make something of ourselves to be significant. You have to do something big. You have to find a a niche or, or a tribe. We don't have to create this meaning or significance for ourselves. Jesus Christ is everything for us. We have it. And so I hope, and it is my prayer, that many, many of the good things that we have done as a church will continue in the coming year and even grow. Though there is a risk of weariness, it is my prayer that you would not grow weary in doing good. We might, of course, sometimes be weary of showing up to a community group or getting up early on Sunday morning or 
bringing the kids to Friday nights or losing our Sunday nights on the last day of the month. The church, our actions are not fruitless. We know from, from what Jesus has done that he is at work. And we see in so many ways the things that we've been able to see him do in this little place. We know that God is, is still at work even here. You can't lose with this. We already have our victory. And so what we do as a church matters. And you know this, but I want to just encourage you about this in the coming years. How might you work to build up the church in the coming year? That is an important task. How, might, how will you go about supporting the church in the coming year? How will you go about reaching out to share with others about this good news of Jesus? How will you work in, in your relationships to help one another have a different Christ-oriented outlook on life? We shoot, of course, for faithfulness in all things, but we aren't perfect. We won't be perfect until Jesus comes back. And I do think sometimes, I had a conversation the other day that alerted me to this, that sometimes we may, as a church, as pastors, have, have given off a, a vibe that we have the, the right biblical way to do everything just right. Now we got the church government and the counseling and the everything, and this is exactly right. Now we do, of course, we go to scripture and we, we have convictions about these things, but we don't believe that we are 100% right in every single thing. We recognize that there are even ways that God will change and transform us from where we are today. We know that there's only one who is perfect and has it all right, and that is Jesus. And so we're actually seeking for the ways for him to transform us as a church to help lead us and as individuals. For a few of you, of course, you might be looking at the church at a larger scale. And this isn't really a, a, a determined to address all of those. That's not really my purpose this morning. But we can see in uh, conventions and in so many places, churches getting it wrong. We see pastors failing. I see uh, Christians not being very Christ-like on the internet. And I know that when God says in Hebrews that a pastor, that an overseer is responsible for the care of the souls in the church, their flock, that's not, a, that's not a tiny responsibility. And so I recognize as a, as a pastor that it's not my job to fix all of the church, but that I have a unique calling to speak to you to remind you that Jesus is everything. 
that we don't need to be shaken, that we don't need to be thrown off. We don't need to think that, gosh, maybe I was just wrong about this whole Christianity thing. No. We have certainty. We know that maybe, maybe we don't get it right every time, but we know exactly who does. We know who we're following. I know who we're pointing each other to. And I want to encourage you to adopt some of that perspective as well. And actually, if you're a member here, you already have. The perspective is that we don't have a responsibility for everyone out there except to share the good news. But we do have a unique covenant responsibility to one another, to remind one another of the good news, to remind one another of the hope that we have in Jesus, to bring one another back again and again to Jesus Christ and him crucified is paramount. We have hope because he has risen and we can seek simple faithfulness taking the next step that he's calling us to. So our foundation is secured in Jesus' resurrection. So how will we live as a church? Our foundation is secured in Jesus' resurrection. So how will we live as a church? That should transform it for us. Well, there are so many ways that the reminders of this foundation are built into the life of our church. And it's my hope that you will see them with new eyes. You'll deliberately seek to see the ways that God is using to remind us of the gospel, the conversations with brothers and sisters, the habits of community group, the, the power of praying together, of singing together, of, of taking the Lord's Supper together, of celebrating baptism together. There are so many different angles and ways to consider these things. So we have a certainty in Jesus Christ. We have nothing without him. But paramount with him, we have everything. Let's pray. Our God, we praise you this morning for the work that you have done and are doing. We have so many, so many reasons to be thankful. We have so many examples of your faithfulness in our lives. Help us to not be blind to those. Help us to call them out to see them for what they are, your grace. Help to remind us of all that we have in you. I pray that as a church, we will continue to seek after you. Help us to continue to see you as worthy above everything else for our praise and our honor. Help us to love you above everything else Help us to cherish the work of Jesus, your love displayed for us. And help us to know the comfort, the power in the presence of your Holy Spirit in us.
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.